Good evening. Surprise testimony that President Trump knew his supporters were armed on January 6th. Ghislaine Maxwell, associate of Jeffrey Epstein, is sentenced for sex trafficking. And Mayor Adams hints that Mayor Giuliani, former Mayor Giuliani, should be investigated for filing a false police report over an incident in Staten Island. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the WBAI News for Tuesday, June 28, 2022. Ghislaine Maxwell, the jet-setting British socialite who once consorted with royals, presidents, and billionaires and was the heir of media mogul Robert Maxwell, was sentenced to 20 years in federal prison for her role in sex trafficking underage women for the rich and powerful. She was convicted of helping financier Jeffrey Epstein sexually abuse the the sometimes underage girls. Rebecca Miles has been following the story and has more. Ghislaine Maxwell, who appeared in New York's federal court on Tuesday in prison blues and ankle shackles, was sentenced to 20 years in prison following a conviction of conspiring with Jeffrey Epstein to recruit, groom and abuse underage girls. She will spend much of the rest of her life in prison and was fined $750,000. In December, a jury convicted Maxwell of sex trafficking, transporting a minor to, to persist, participate in illegal sex acts, and three conspiracy charges. The court heard the sordid ritual of a predator power couple who courted the rich and famous as they lured vulnerable girls as young as 14 and then exploited them. The sentence was shorter than the government had recommended, who'd asked Judge Alison Nathan for a sentence of at least 30 years. If the conviction is upheld, Maxwell could leave prison in her 70s. The judge said in reviewing the facts of the case, quote, I find that the defendant's criminal activity was extensive. The prosecutor, U.S. Attorney Damian Williams, said in a statement, quote, Today's sentence hold Ghislaine Maxwell accountable for perpetuating heinous crimes against children. This sentence sends a strong message that no one is above the law. Over the years, scores of women have accused Epstein of abusing them, with many describing Maxwell as the madam who recruited them. The trial revolved around allegations from only a handful of those women. Epstein and Maxwell had association with some of the world's most famous people, including Bill Clinton, Donald Trump and Britain's Prince Andrew. Rebecca Miles, WBAI Pacifica Radio, New York. Uh, Thanks, Rebecca. Prosecutors said Epstein, who killed himself in 2019 while awaiting trial, sexually abused children hundreds of times over more than a decade and couldn't have done so without the help of Maxwell, his longtime companion. Addressing the court earlier, Maxwell stood at a lectern and said she empathized with the survivors and hoped her punishment would bring them peace. But she didn't admit culpability and laid blame for the abuse on Epstein, saying meeting him was the greatest regret of my life. And desperate families of migrants from Mexico and Central America frantically sought word of their loved ones as authorities began the grim task today of identifying 51 people who died after being abandoned in a tractor trailer without air conditioning in the sweltering Texas heat. At a news conference, officials involved in the recovery of the dead and the investigation into the perpetrators of the worst tragedy to claim the lives of migrants smuggled across the border from Mexico described the scene that they came upon. Tonight we are dealing with a horrific human tragedy. A worker uh, who is works in one of the buildings up here behind me uh, heard a cry for help, came out to investigate, found a, a trailer with the doors partially open, 
uh, opened them up to take a look and found a number of um, deceased individuals inside. Engine 52 arrived and uh, found the trailer, as Chief McManus mentioned, uh, with a body outside and, and several that they could visibly see inside once the doors were opened. Um, at this time, we have processed approximately 46 bodies that have been triaged and tagged and uh, declared deceased at this time. It's tragic. You know, there, there are, um, that we know of, 46 individuals uh, who are no longer with us, who had families, um, who were likely trying to find uh, a better life. Fortunately, we were able to transport 16 people. 12 of those are adults and four pediatric. All of them were conscious at the time upon transportation. The patients that we saw were hot to the touch. They were suffering uh, from heat stroke, heat exhaustion, uh, no signs of water in the vehicle. It was a refrigerated tractor trailer, but there was no uh, visible working AC unit on that rig. We have three people in custody. We don't know if they are absolutely connected to this or not. This investigation has been turned over to HSI. It is now a federal investigation. We hope that those responsible are prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. We're not supposed to open up a truck and see stacks of bodies in there. None of us come to work imagining that. And that was the scene in Texas after the sad discovery of 51 people dead in a sealed tractor trailer truck without air conditioning in the oppressive, beyond oppressive Texas heat. United States Representative Henry Cuellar of Texas says the driver of the truck and two other people were arrested. He says the truck had passed through a Border Patrol checkpoint northeast of Laredo, Texas on Interstate 35. He didn't know if migrants were inside the truck when it cleared the checkpoint. According to Homeland Security officials, the death count was the highest ever from a smuggling incident in the United States. President Joe Biden said in a statement, the scene was horrifying and heartbreaking. In more national news, a federal court today allowed Tennessee's ban on abortion as early as six weeks into pregnancy to take effect, citing the Supreme Court's decision last week overturning Roe v. Wade. The action by the 6th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals comes before Tennessee's other abortion brand ban, the so-called trigger ban, is expected to restrict abortion almost entirely by mid-August. Both measures would make performing an abortion a felony and subject doctors to up to 15 years in prison if convicted. Planned Parenthood was not performing abortions at its facilities in Nashville and Memphis on Monday in anticipation of court action. Meanwhile, women and their supporters in the United States and around the world are still processing the punch in the gut of the widely expected but still shocking decision to overturn a right enjoyed by women for 50 years. People of a certain age may remember the days of the feminist movement that swept America, especially college campuses in the 1970s. For a certain age group, every personal library would have a copy of a large bound illustrated book filled with frank information about women's health titled Our Bodies, Ourselves. One of the originators of that book, reproduced many times and now available on the Internet, is gender and women's studies professor at Suffolk University, Amy Agigian. She says the court's decision amounts to a coup by a minority with control of the court. Republicans in general, they can read the polls. They know that their policies are not popular, but they're not even trying to pretend that these are popular. They're interested in a kind of power that is not democratic, even small d, or either kind of democratic. 
Um, so there's a there's a power grab going on to try and bring us back to basically before um, regular people had rights. You know, so I mean, this is obviously a devastating blow to all the movements for social justice, but especially, you know, if you're talking about Madison in the late 60s, early 70s, um, you know, the the social movements that were for against the war and for civil rights and for women's rights and later LGBT rights. And, you know, it's like this is basically saying none of that matters. And not only that, but women don't matter. Right. We're going to go back to a legal precedent before women had autonomy as human beings, before women could vote, um, before it was illegal, before marital rape was illegal, um, before birth control was legal. You know, I mean, they their frame of reference and their their line of legal arguing of legal argument is so retrogressive and so contrary to popular opinion that to me it really points to and this sounds very paranoid but it really points to um a different model of of claiming and holding power than we've seen um you know definitely since the 30s let's say these rights first came because there was already a tremendous outpouring of women in the streets in the 1960s and 70s pushing for these things. What can they expect? Billy yep. Ellish saying F America. It's certainly not increasing the legitimacy of the court or of the country. A lot of people have said, oh, the Republicans are basically the American Taliban. Some people have been saying that for a couple of decades. <laughs> this would really kind of feed into that way of looking at it. I mean, hopefully what will happen is that people will become politically mobilized and people will realize that this is not just about an abortion procedure that you may or may not, or a loved one may or may not need, even though it's an extremely common and safe medical procedure. But this is about whether women are autonomous beings, whether we have legal rights that are equal to men, or whether we're seen as walking incubators who are under the control of the state. I hope that what we're going to see is people waking up, not just women, but men too. This affects men absolutely, and not only because it's going to be the beginning of the end of many other rights that more directly affect men's <laughs> bodies. A lot of you men know, will wind up playing child support and having to get married in shotgun weddings from now on. Back exactly. to those days. It's going back to shotgun weddings potentially, but it's all even darker to me is that murder is the leading cause of death among pregnant women in this country. Men who do not want to be fathers aren't usually on their best behavior. I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop in terms of is the Supreme Court next going to rule that the EPA can't regulate the environment, environmental pollution? I really hope that the Democrats wake up and treat this with the seriousness and the urgency that it deserves and do whatever they can and think creatively. There are lots of things that they can do because they're in power. And that is... Amy Agigian, she's the Gender and Women's Studies Professor at Suffolk University 
and an originator of the groundbreaking book about women's health, Our Bodies, Ourselves. And former President Donald Trump fought security officials for control of the presidential SUV, known as the Beast, as he struggled to get to the Capitol during the January 6, 2021 insurrection. That's according to a key former White House aide telling House investigators Tuesday, that's today, even after Trump had been told that some of his supporters were armed. Trump said that the protesters who are not here to hurt me recalled Cassidy Hutchinson testifying before the House panel investigating the insurrection. Hutchinson, then a special assistant to White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, described chaos inside and outside the White House that day as hundreds of Trump supporters marched towards the Capitol. Hutchinson's explosive testimony featured in a surprise hearing announced just 24 hours earlier came as the latest of the sessions the House committee is using to investigate the Capitol insurrection. In her testimony, some on tape and some delivered live from the House committee chambers, she said Trump knew his supporters were heavily armed with everything up to handguns and automatic rifles. Many of these Trump supporters didn't want to go through the metal detectors that are set up usually, as anyone who's been to an event in Washington, they often make you go through metal detectors to go into the central area where the president or other top officials might be present and speaking. Many of those people armed, as said earlier, with all kinds of weapons, did not cross that, that barrier because they didn't want to go through the metal detectors and have their weapons confiscated, as many weapons were, they demanded that these mags or magnetic detectors be disassembled, a demand that was picked up and echoed by President Trump, who wanted those metal detectors shut down so more folks could get in and increase the size of the crowd that he was speaking to. He was very focused on the image of that. According to Hutchinson's account, it didn't matter to the president. He said, according to sources that Hutchinson heard, I have just nothing to worry about. His response was to say they can march to the Capitol from from the ellipse. Something to the effect of take the effing mags away. They're not here to hurt me. Let them in. Let my people in. They can march to the Capitol after the rally's over. They can march from they can march from the ellipse. Take the effing mags away. These conversations happened two to three minutes before he took the stage that morning. President Trump was aware that a number of the individuals in the crowd had weapons and were wearing body armor. And here's what President Trump instructed the crowd to do. We're going to walk down and I'll be there with you. We're going to walk down. We're going to walk down anyone you want. But I think right here, we're going to walk down to the Capitol. And that was Liz Cheney, Representative Liz Cheney, asking the questions. Aides inside the executive mansion, several of whom had been warned of violence beforehand, became increasingly alarmed as rioters at the Capitol overran police, broke through windows and doors, and interrupted the certification of Biden's victory. Trump was less concerned, even as he heard there were cries in the crowd to hang Mike Pence. Hutchinson says her boss, Mark Meadows, just kept scrolling through his two cell phones, ignoring the pleas of the other staffers. I remember Pat saying something to the effect of, Mark, we need to do something more. They're literally calling for the vice president to be effing hung. And Mark had responded something to the effect of, you heard him, Pat. He thinks Mike deserves it. He doesn't think they're doing anything wrong. To which Pat said something this is effing crazy. We need to be doing something more. Briefly stepped into Mark's office. And when Mark had said something, when Mark had said something to the effect of he doesn't think they're doing anything wrong. 
And Hutchinson says White House counsel Pat Cipollone barreled down the hallway and confronted Meadows about the fact that rioters had breached the Capitol. Hutchinson says Cipollone told told her he worried about legal accountability. Mr. Cipollone said something to the effect of, please make sure we don't go up to the Capitol, Cassidy. Keep in touch with me. We're going to get charged with every crime imaginable if we make that movement happen. And do you remember which crimes Mr. Cipollone was concerned with? In the days leading up to the six, we had conversations about potentially obstructing justice or defrauding the electoral count. Trump repeatedly wanted to march with his supporters to the Capitol, announcing his intent in a speech at the Ellipse near the White House. But the Secret Service and his own security chief, Tony uh, Ornato, said it was unsafe. Hutchison says she heard Trump, who she claimed was prone to personal violence, uh, say that he just didn't care because they were his people. The president said something to the effect of, I'm the effing president. Take me up to the Capitol now. To which Bobby responded, sir, we have to go back to the West Wing. The president reached up towards the front of the vehicle to grab at the steering wheel. Mr. Engel grabbed his arm, said, sir, you need to take your hand off the steering wheel. We're going back to the West Wing. We're not going to the Capitol. Mr. Trump then used his free hand to lunge towards Bobby Engel. And Mr. when Mr. Renato had recounted this story to me, he had motioned towards his clavicles. And was Mr. Engel in the room as Mr. Ornato told you this story? He was. Did Mr. Engel correct or disagree with any part of the story for Mr. Ornato? Mr. Engel did not correct or disagree with any part of the story. Did Mr. Engel or Mr. Ornato ever after that tell you that what Mr. Ornato had just said was untrue? Neither Mr. Ornato nor Mr. Engel told me ever that it was untrue. She went on to describe Trump's propensity to throw his dinner against the wall when sufficiently angered. Bobby Engel, by the way, was Trump's Secret Service bodyguard. Clavicles mean Engel's throat. I left the office and went down to the dining room, and I noticed that the door was propped open, and the valet was inside the dining room changing the tablecloth off of the dining room table. He motioned for me to come in and then pointed towards the front of the room near the fireplace mantle and the TV where... I first noticed there was ketchup dripping down the wall and there's a shattered porcelain plate on the floor. The valet had articulated that the president was extremely angry at the attorney general's AP interview and had thrown his lunch against the wall, um, which was causing them to have to clean up. So I, I grabbed a towel and started wiping the ketchup off of the wall to help the valet out. Um, and he said something to the effect of, he's really ticked off about this. I, I would stay clear of him for right now. He, he's really, really ticked off about this right now. And Ms. Hutchinson, was this the only instance that you are aware of where the president threw dishes? There were several times throughout my tenure with the chief of staff that I was aware of him either throwing dishes or flipping the tablecloth um, to let all the contents of the table go onto the floor and likely break or go everywhere.
Hutchison then described how White House staffers deeply involved in Trump's scheme began asking for pardons, a sign they were prepared to break the law on behalf of the president. Ms. Hutchinson, did Rudy Giuliani ever suggest that he was interested in receiving a presidential pardon related to January 6th? He did. Ms. Hutchinson, did White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows ever indicate that he was interested in receiving a presidential pardon related to January 6th? Mr. Meadows did seek that pardon. Yes, ma'am. Thank you, Ms. Hutchinson. Mr. Chairman, I yield back. January 6th Committee Vice Chair, Republican Representative Liz Cheney. She then read messages sent to possibly threaten witnesses not to cooperate with the committee, which is a crime. The first was an ominous reminder. Well, what they said to me is as long as I continue to be a team player, they know I'm on the right team. I'm doing the right thing. I'm protecting who I need to protect. You know I'll continue to stay in good graces in Trump world. And they have reminded me a couple of times that Trump does read transcripts. And just keep that in mind as I proceed through my interviews with the committee. The second message presented by Cheney was a warning. A person let me know you have your deposition tomorrow. He wants me to let you know he's thinking about you. He knows you're loyal and you're going to do the right thing when you go in for your deposition. I think most Americans know that attempting to influence witnesses to testify untruthfully presents very serious concerns. We will be discussing these issues as a committee, carefully considering our next steps. After the hearings, Representative Jamie Raskin, a Maryland Democrat, said today's hearings just show how capable the president was of using violence to stay in power. It's extraordinary to hear in such vivid detail that the chief of staff and the White House were aware that there were armed people uh, in that crowd on January the 6th. Um, and the president's response to that, according to the witness, um, was searing when he just said, let them all in, take down uh, the mags, take down the machines, let them all in. Um, there were people with AR-15s, there were people with guns and knives, let them all in because they're no threat to him. So it didn't trouble him that there were armed people ready for violence in the crowd, in the mob that day. And that confirms that this was a, a president who was willing to do anything to overthrow the presidential election of 2020 and clearly had violence within his sights on that day. And that's uh, Representative Jamie Raskin, Democrat of Maryland. And finally, Mayor Adams uh, fielded a question today at a press conference about an event that happened uh, earlier this week when a Staten Island employee padded, it seems, former Mayor Rudy Giuliani on the back during a campaign stop with his son who's running for governor, Andrew. Giuliani turned around and tried to have the uh, person who tapped him uh, charged with hitting him and uh, knocking him over or threatening to knock him over. It was like a gunshot, according to Giuliani. Well, after looking at the video, uh, Mayor Adams said, who's the law and order man himself, former police officer, said that uh, Giuliani is the possible criminal. And someone needs to remind former Mayor Giuliani that falsely reported a crime is a crime. From what he stated about being punched in the head, felt like a bullet, what he stated 
There was a lot of creativity. I think the district attorney, should he has the wrong person that he's investigating. To falsely report a crime is a crime. If that video wasn't there, then this person would have been charged with punching the former mayor. He'd have been charged with all of these offenses that did not materialize. I saw that video. And I'm sure all of you who saw, saw the video, you have to ask yourself, he stated if he, was, he didn't feel so heroic or whatever, he would, have not, he would have fallen to the ground. That was a lot of creativity there. Forcibly reporting a crime is a crime. If you don't have a video and someone of prominence making allegations against you, you should not have to wait for a video to determine you did nothing wrong. He's a, pro he's a former mayor. I think he's irresponsible for a former mayor. And when I heard the report, uh, that he was punched in the head and other things. When I heard that, I said, you know, why would someone assault the former mayor? Now, what if we didn't have the video? This person would have been accused with a serious crime when all he did was pat the guy on the back.